Good evening, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. Usually, I'm on that side of the screen, but today, I'm sitting in the green side because, as you can see, AJ is not with us, but I do have my brother, Justin Marvel of hashtag this just in sitting in. What's happening, Justin? How's it going? It's going great. I know I got some cues to fill with AJ, but hopefully we get this worked out. I wish AJ was here as well, but lined up again. Can't be, you know, bad. Christmas is great. I felt so life must be good. Oh, yes. Christmas, for those of you who did not get the message last week, you know, Christmas was on Sunday. So I hope that you had a good time spending it with family and friends. We had an awesome time here on the mountain top. And now we're really looking forward to getting into this week's episode of Green Beige, which is about these coaches and owners. So, Justin, I know that you... We'll have some experience about this. We get to you and your uh, fandom and experiences in a little bit. <clears throat> because, you know, while we spend a lot of time looking and discussing, looking at and discussing players in the various leagues in the country and around the world, there's quite a bit that's been happening with these ownership groups, not just in the NFL, but also in the NBA. Two teams are currently for sale. One owner is jumping before he's pushed and the other is jumping before he's pushed too hard. Before we get to that, though, we go off the rip, as we always do, with four-down territory. This week, we had the equivalent of a college Saturday in the pros, with a full slate of games on Christmas Eve, with three games left for Christmas Day on Sunday, and then, you know, the regular Monday night football game. So, as we always do, first down, I give you first crack. The biggest winner of the weekend this week, Justin, was who? You know, Parkers, like, it had to be. Um, everything had to break our way this a loss from the Seahawks, the Lions, the Commanders, and the Giants. Just playoff hopes alive, and all those games broke our way right before itself. The first game of the Triple Header on Christmas, we pull off what called a uh, upset in Miami. Like it was, yeah. You have to record state, and then on top of that, Aaron Rodgers doesn't really have a great record, and we are leaving the cold to go in Miami. Albeit, I heard that Miami was that probably helped us, and not only that, like we were down. I want to say twenty to ten before the first half, and for us to pull that victory, and now we're just a game for final playoff berth in the NFC given all that's happening and then not lived up to what I expect but that's another conversation with Joe Barry for another time but give up 24 <clears throat> points kind of what I expected how the script would go get a pitch a shutout in the second half um, it started with that fumble recover us off and then to end up the game with three straight interceptions. I don't know who you're seeing my Packers for me. You know, I everything having to break jet or to improve the 26% chance to make the playoffs. Everything having to break our way, y'all. I'll say my Green Bay 
Packers are the biggest winner this weekend. Well, I can't blame you. I, if I were in your position, I'd probably say the same, because my Saints won as well, but so did Tampa Bay and so did Carolina. So, yeah, things aren't quite. Yeah, things aren't quite breaking the way I need them to. But I was never going to um, say that my Saints were the biggest winner this week because, as I said on the show two weeks ago, I think, or three weeks ago, I'm done talking about the Saints. So that's the only mention that I'm making of the Saints right now. I'm wearing a black and gold jersey, but I'm wearing the jersey of the league leaders in England. That is, you know, my Arsenal. Definitely not the black and gold of the New Orleans Saints, who currently are third in our very poor division. But my biggest winner of this weekend was actually the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I must admit, I hadn't watched much Jaguars football this season because, honestly, why would I? But with the Thursday night game against the Jets, what looked at the beginning of the season as a snooze fest actually had a lot of intrigue and interesting storylines. We had the return of Zach Wilson, the continued development of Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville making a push for the playoffs with the collapse of the Tennessee Titans. (coughs) Excuse me. And the Jets trying to hold on to their playoff hopes. What we got was one young quarterback showing that, you know, he might be ready for the big time, while the other is now on the chopping block. Jacksonville has won three straight, and they have three quality wins against Dallas, the Titans, and now the Jets. Trevor Lawrence, he went 20 of 31 for 229 yards with no touchdowns or interceptions, which is not a blowing you away stat line, but it is solid. And he made some wonderful throws in the game, if we're going to be honest. Travis Etienne Jr., he gave them a credible run game, going for 83 yards from 22 carries. The defense was also able to cope with the change of quarterback during the game, as Wilson got benched and Chris Traveler was given the opportunity to do his best Taysom Hill impression, connecting on 10 of 15 passes for 90 yards and 54 yards on 9 carries. The Jacksonville defense seems like it has a knack for making adjustments on the fly, and that will bode well for them when they eventually win the AFC South. I don't see them winning in the playoffs, but after struggling so badly last season, making the playoffs this year is a huge step forward. Hold on, Ken, though, miss or big, big wins you missed for these Jacksonville Jaguars happens to be more Ravens. And, and like you, I may not have the Jacksonville Jaguars to win a playoff. Started no. Yes, who they would see in the same Baltimore Ravens at oh. home. So that's why we said no. Like we don't know what Lamar Jackson Baltimore is going to get back of fifty percent Lamar Jackson, or even don't get him back at all. I would not be surprised if pull off that victory at home against Baltimore. That is very, very true. I honestly have not looked ahead too far at the prognostications because we still got week 18 to get through. <clears throat> well, week 17 and week 18. And I'm hoping that Tampa Bay loses both of these games and then Carolina beats them. And then I beat Carolina so that I get ahead of them too. Because right now, with Tampa haven't <laughs> beaten me twice, then they are currently sitting in the box seat. Oh, so we have a comment here from Jordan Williams, one of my boys out of the UK. 
I do the Munzee Talks. Well, it used to be called Munzee Talks. It's now the sports capital. End of the bench show. He is the host of that on the basketball show. Shout out to you, Jordan. Glad to see that you could join us. At least for some of the show tonight because it is 1 a.m. for you over there. So we are always glad whenever you can join us. All right, Justin. So we, we talked about the biggest winner of the week. So now we move over to the biggest loser. Who is your biggest loser for this past week? I was going to say the Tennessee Titans for that four straight loss. And and not but to clearly tanking Houston Texans. Let me clearly tanking like Houston is not messing up, so they don't miss a chance at Bryce Young. Whether they won that game or not, I think the division was always going to come down to Jacksonville in week eight. This loss kind of really set them back too much, even though they won it and some of these they may be in for wild card spot. But I think it's a harp on this Christmas Day game, but it was in Miami Dolphins. Simply because you lost my Packers visiting um, Miami. And you were up 20 to 10 to go up three scores and really put this game away. You fumble. I want to say uh, it was a attempt for us right before the half. I don't only do you fumble in a possession. Apparently that twelve tongue by law was concussed. So name up that you should have gone up, up three scores. You finish it with those three interceptions. Even though you still hold the seventh and final playoff spot. You have and one of those games to a may probably not play. Like you've missed out and we'll get to that in another situation, I guess. But the all concussions situation. I don't understand improved concussion protocols. But now this is twice in the same season that Tuak is allowed to return to the game. You're going to be down your quarterback for one of these two games. Like, you're basically backing into the playoffs. And all you had to do was keep this two-score lead into the playoffs. Like, can't... There were some other damning losses, but I'm not worse than what what Miami suffered at home, by the way, with a, against uh, Packers for performing really well in Florida. So <clears throat> you keep going back to this Packers and Dolphins game, right? And I've been trying my hardest not to think about this game because as remember, we talked about this on WhatsApp, how your Packers, your Packers got and allowed Jalen Water to score an 84-yard touchdown and my opponent in fantasy, who in this particular fantasy league is a 14-team league, Justin. I scratched and clawed. I worked so hard all season long to qualify for the playoffs in the number one spot. And in one play, your Packers cost me my shot at the championship. I, lo I lose that matchup. Because in one play, both Jalen Waddle and what's his name, Tua Tangavelua, are both sitting at twenty odd points. There's well, no way that I can keep up. If you could not just a little bit longer for the second half, 
just a couple more points, you would have been all right. But yeah, that one play kind of probably pushed you past. Yeah. So, yep. So we have some more comments coming in. Jordan, he's, he's you know, he, he has confirmed that it is 1 a.m., but he loves the show. He was commenting on Twitter. Yes, those of you who are able to watch on Twitter, you can comment there as well. Unfortunately, we don't see those comments, so I can't respond to them in real time. But on Facebook and on YouTube, you can always comment there. We can see them. Jordan agrees with you, Justin. He says the Tagovailoa incident a while ago should have served as a big alarm bell to the NFL about the protocol and that CTE doesn't exist, according to the NFL. And it's hard um, to argue against that. I, like, at some point around, you know, of fine suspensions and the taking away draft. And the reason I say that, like, you had one, one incident. Like, the first, the first incident was ridiculous. We all saw Tua Tagovailoa got concussed in that game, and then was allowed to return. The madness, it's like we were stupid. It was a back injury. Like, we don't know what a back injury is. So then the following game against Cincinnati when, you know, he looks like a cripple and this is not back to us. It's not even making fun. This is me showing sincere concern for Tua. Like, has that clear cerebral issue. Then all of a sudden that you're at, you can't, just later in the same season, he's concussed yet again. And then all of a sudden, now he's going into concussion protocol. At some point, you know, like, it's all concerned about player safety. Because remember now, all, all the emphasis is now on target, crown your helmet, um, not leading with your helmet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If all concerned about player safety, then you got to start putting the money where your mouth is. And Miami needs to be fine. Somebody needs the head coach needs to be suspended and draft taken away for this. If you're truly serious about this situation. <clears throat> but the interesting thing is, the first time that it happened, when they lied to everyone and said that it was a back injury, and we all saw that he was concussed. And then they had to come back later on and say, okay, well, maybe he did have a concussion, which caused that the independent neurological expert to get fired. So Tua hits his head on the ground because we heard that he was in concussion protocol and we were, everyone was surprised to hear he was in concussion protocol because we hadn't seen anything. But guess what? The majority of us aren't neurological experts. So we aren't going to necessarily pick up on certain things. But you would have thought that the independent neurological consultant and the spotters would have seen, oh, wait, Tua hit his head. And he had this really, really bad concussion before. Let's get him out of the game because something doesn't seem to be right here. Especially, you no, know, after he hits his head on the ground, he can't find his receivers with these passes. So I don't know what they were seeing or what they were doing. But clearly, what they were looking at was something else completely completely different. So maybe they need to get a third neurological expert because this second one seems to be worse than first. No, Ken. People need, many people need to be fine to be, to understand the seriousness of this situation because like you mentioned, the lone casualty 
of this entire fiasco is an ideological expert, not a coach, not a member of the team's training staff, an independent neurological expert with a vision. No, like, and, and, and until somebody is, is made to understand this nonsense, and they will continue to happen. And it is clear that the Miami Dolphins do not kill up. Yeah, I, I definitely cannot disagree with you. Um, Jordan says that it's just so poor from the NFL, a complete disgrace. You don't need some fancy pants scientists to realize it is a desperate team with desperate staff being desperate to get a W. So, yeah, at this point in time, something else needs to be done. Now, Justin, I actually, I thought about the Dolphins as being the biggest loser this week. And all of the points that you made are extremely strong, extremely valid. I I don't want to disagree with you, but I have somebody else listed for my, for my biggest loser this week. And that's actually from your division. And that is the Detroit Lions. And right now, the Detroit Lions being called the, the biggest loser of week 16 of an NFL season shows just how far they have come. Because we are accustomed to the Lions, <coughs> excuse me, at this point, being 3-12 and 12 or 4-11. and 11. Or now that we're playing 17 games, they'd be 3-13. and 13. The Lions in this game were 7-7 seven and seven going up against the Carolina Panthers team that, to their credit, have looked a lot better since they fired their old head coach and hired Steve Wilkes as the interim head coach. Okay, that is fair. But at the same time, these are the same Lions that have been putting up 30 points a game on pretty much everybody not called the New England Patriots. So you would have thought that even though their defense continues to be porous, that the offense would have been able to put up the points they needed to win this game. And if I was a betting man, I would have put money on the Lions to win this game. I did Be not, but go ahead. No, but like I said, if I was a betting man, but I'm not. So my money is safe in my pocket, knowing that I didn't have a lot of it to begin with. So when, when I looked at the Lions against the Panthers, as a team, you can't be giving up 320 yards rushing. Regardless of how many touchdowns they score, you can't give three football fields worth of yards and expect to win a game in the NFL. It just doesn't work that way. And now, because they lose this game, I think the Lions now slip behind your Packers in the standings for the running for that final playoff spot in the NFC. They still have the tiebreaker because they won the um, initial game. But to your point, no, Ken, and again, this is not to say that Detroit was not one of the on the weekend. But the reason they mentioned it is because I expected them to lose. One, I think in his very short stint as a coach, probably only has like two road wins. So I knew going into Carolina and a desperate Carolina to shot at the NFC. So I knew what was coming. They're going to lose this game. And second of them, they're playing on the road outside of a dome. This is this is the epitome. Same does not play well outdoors. And yeah, Carolina is not exactly a 
cold weather team, but I, I guess because I know Detroit well, I kind of expected this was going to come. Unlike you, I don't have an official pick but every week I try to pick games before I Detroit is going to be favored in this one, but favored ground for you. I knew that this was what I expect 327 yards of rushing worth of a loss, but <laughs> into seeing this. Understood. So Jordan is he's talking about your division. He said the NFC North is wild, but not the Wild West. Any other year it would be, but the NFC South is the real Wild West. Right now we just got a lot of gunslingers that got a lot of guns and a lot of bullets and no target practice whatsoever in the US. In sorry, in the South. So that's why we would be we would be very, very terrible. The AFC South, he says, is also absolutely dumb. That is true. Um, Dale has joined us. He is the Eagles man. So you know that he is probably not feeling so great this week because his Eagles got, I guess you can say, an upset. Even with a backup quarterback going up against the Cowboys, you would have probably thought that the Eagles would have had enough talent to pull that out. And based on what we saw this weekend, chances are if um, Jalen Hurts played that game, they would have won that game, I believe. What do you think, Justin? I'm having some question marks about this Eagle. Let me not say this Eagles team is a very, very good team. Uh, uh, top fishing. But from since I want to say the pack uh, going onwards, I have seen one major situation and overrated that defense just slightly. The Dallas game again that they came was going to hurt since absence is noted in that game simply because I think the Eagles had two fumbles and two interceptions. It's likely not going to happen if Jalen Hurts plays and those turn into $20 points. The issue I have with what's going on is that defense is too reliant on forcing turnovers. And when it gets it's cold, like it is no, and playoffs come around, and teams like Dallas and San, like what Dallas did well, Dallas threw the ball a lot, which was shocking. These teams are going to come around. Philadelphia has been, for lack of a better word, porous up front in stopping. It's not to say the Philadelphia Eagles are bad defense. I just think the defense we were made to believe. And it all, as I said, it all stemmed when they watched that Packers up close. They went up as many as like two scores against us. And we had the best ground game, and Philadelphia didn't stop it. And then, time and time again, like the game against Washington, they could not stop Washington on the ground. And Washington is not exactly this dynamic Russian attack. <laughs> Dallas, they had issues with Tony Pollard. Not to say that the RSC League hasn't. I concerned with Philadelphia up front. Obviously, Jalen Hurts plays that game. That's probably a different. Outcome. I fear if they get into a, let's say, an SC title matchup to school, that, that front seven, that front will come back to bite them against the San Francisco team that is coming to run the football. Understood and agreed. So Jordan says that Hurts is his MVP. 
even if Mahomes is the narrative runaway winner. Hurts has been way more valuable. And yeah, we've had this chat before. MVP in the NFL and NBA has lost its meaning. Best player, not most valuable. That is definitely an argument that we can revisit, you know, as we get later on into the season and we get closer to the awards portion of the the conversation. Because yeah, MVP right now, right now is a quarterback, but it's a quarterback award. And there are a lot of players who could be and probably are more valuable to their teams than even their quarterbacks. I understand being a quarterback award, but having over the years seen what, what quarterbacks are absolutely important they are to teams, I understand become a quarterback award because even when you look at the best players of other like, you cannot look. There's no player, there's no defensive player on who has the value of a quarterback. There's just, there's just none. Like Parsons. And I think Michael Parsons impacts the game in so very many ways. Even with that said, like Michael Parsons' impact on a game just is not above average quarterback. As crazy as that sounds like. Quarterbacks, you see teams always looking to draft the next one. You're not good if you don't have a decent one. Yeah, that is that is very true. But like I said, that's a, that can be a, a much more extensive discussion. We can we can put that on the docket in a couple of weeks time when you know some of these teams are no longer in the running and we might be looking to you know help fill some slots and fill some time. So, Justin, the least impressive win. Third down. Least impressive win. Who got the least impressive win for you this week? I was looking to my notes, but it's like, oh, this is easy. It's just have to be Buccaneers over the Cardinals. In a Cardinals team that has nothing to play for, a third-string quarterback, and not just a third-story. They play Tom McSorley in, like, like, what do the Cardinals, what do they play for? Absolutely nothing. They are basically waiting to fire their head coach There's no Kyler Murray in Rome. This is already a porous defense and a porous defensive with it. I had to come from behind to force overtime and win against and he only put up 19 points on that defense. It has to be the Buccaneers. not be trailing to the Arizona Cardinals in any football game at this point. Point in time, no, I mean, the Cardinals were supposedly good. We know, like, toward the end of season, I, I have a we all team is going to probably win the South, but like, whoever gets them in the first round, sad to say, his career is, and as many veterans they have, and uh, this is an easy first round victory for whoever they play. It's like, it's hanging on to that fifth seed. And I'm going to pound the hell out of that Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, it has to be the Buccaneers for the least impressive victory this, this weekend. So, I'm glad that you said all of what you said. Because I agree with you and everything that you said. I also had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the least impressive win this week. But my discourse on the Buccaneers was going in a different direction. 
you you give the pure analyst the not much emotion involved in your um your your statement right but Brady on. you see that man mr tom brady tom brady is playing so much boo boo we are we are a family friendly show so i can't describe it as anything more than that but he is playing a lot of rubbish he missed so many throws in that game and i was watching the game and <clears throat> i would have been glad if the cardinals had won but when we did our prime time pick him i said that i expected the buccaneers to win because of everything that you just said the color murray is out their backup whose name escapes me right now he's also hurt so trace bit sorry yeah cole mccoy right so cole mccoy is out Kyle Murray is hurt, so Trace McSorley, he had to play the game. And to his credit, he didn't play too terrible during the majority of the game. And yeah, Dale, you're telling me don't let Skip Bayless hear me? I wish he would. I wish he would. Because Skip Bayless would get out. I, I honestly, Justin, I can't take too much of Undisputed. Because... Well, Skip has earned the right to get on camera and talk all over his face and say whatever he wants. He literally says whatever he wants. And most of the time, he shows a complete lack of analysis. We give much better analysis on hashtag this just in and Green Beach than you will ever get from Skip Bayless or Undisputed. And I don't watch Undisputed or First take anymore it's just a bunch of just they don't watch the show from yeah from the time we watch yeah, i turn off the tears no when i saw that game and i was like arizona can't get the points on the board that they need to get to close the door on this team brady is suddenly going to find some rhythm he's finally going to put the balls where the receivers can catch them and they're going to come back they're going to score in at the end and everybody is going to be talking about how great brady is and how brady has done this miraculous comeback job once more and i am so sick of it because you can't tell me that if his name was not Tom Brady, that he would not be getting the criticism he deserves for how he played the first three and a half quarters of that game, except for when he finally decides, oh, wait a second, I actually need to you know, play decent football in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. That's what happened in that second game against the Seeds. That's what happened the week after. I don't remember who they played. And that's what happened in this game again. Brady is not playing well at all at all at all jordan says brady is throwing boo-boo now nah, he's my boo-boo beard giselle is missed clearly doesn't matter how good you are a personal situation like that will take it out of you turns out brady is more like us than we ever thought i honestly right i i don't want to to comment on another man's relationship situation because when four feet in a bed I not there, so I, I can't speak to everything. However, from the outside looking on, 
it looks really, really bad that the reports that we received were that him coming back to play was one of the main issues between he and Giselle that caused the final rift, a final split, because apparently there were rifts that were happening before. But do you know how bad it is that you come back and you take all these hits and you're playing so poorly and you lose your family in the process? I really hope that that was not the case and that it was something else because that's a really, really bad look if that was so. I, I can't personal life as affecting his professional life. All I can say is that and he was already stretching the limits of him to age and playing quarterback position. It was only a matter of time that he was going to catch it. We really didn't expect this guy to play the 50 He is old and it is showing the team and results I guess probably a year sooner than I expected to come as a surprise. Before 45, is at some point you're going to have to look. Yeah. So Jordan said that he was expecting me to say that, but he was meaning that divorce states a lot of you if the mother of your children has enough. And I definitely can't argue with that. For those of you who are viewing us, on youtube or on facebook or on twitter you will recognize that right now i'm still fighting a cold this cold is kicking my backside into this episode um some coughs and some sneezes but we are soldiering through and just so you know we get to the the fourth down biggest surprise what was your biggest surprise this weekend hey it's like an episode back to my packers of dolphins sorry like one game, but I didn't even pick the Packers to win in Miami for so many reasons. That again, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the greatest record in Florida, especially in early in the year, really. Um, but second and most importantly, you've heard me go on and on and his bad defenses, and it looked like more the same again, like he does not so high. Scoring Miami runs out to a 20 to 10 lead. As I told you earlier, they were dry scorers and really put this game away. And, you know, that fumble comes, what will got concussed? And shockingly, Joe Barry adjustments and we shut out Miami in the second half. And still, I didn't think we deserved to win because we picked off two or three straight possessions to end the game. But we were sadly, we wasted so many opportunities. Um, Nixon got a great return to 10. <clears throat> he had a field goal. Two of those, those three interceptions. Again, we had the aforementioned fumble before the first half. We sell for field goal. That's four field goals, goals against a high scoring team like Miami. You tend to lose, but I can't believe him about it for actually adjusting. To what the Miami Dolphins do and what everyone else is doing on that offense. So, first, we all know Miami cannot run the football. For what as great as Mike McDaniel came from uh, that zone running scheme from South. Miami cannot run the football. And, and what you've seen since the San Francisco game adopted 
can flood the middle of the field with as many defenders as possible. The numbers to beat you. It's not going outside the hashtag. Hash mark, sorry. Hashtags. You're not going outside the does not have that arm strength. So, what you saw, the linebackers got a lot of depth. Worry about playing close. He landed in the scrimmage to start the run. So, they got a lot of depth playing right in front of the ropes that to a, uh, sorry, that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Water Love, as you saw, you talked about earlier, broke for ADR touchdown. So, the linebackers got a lot of depth played behind that, and that led to all, all three interceptions. The first one, again, because to a, he couldn't get the ball up and down over um, the linebacker that was waiting. I think Devondre Campbell, who was kind of a, a little bit floating in front of Tyree Hill. So that doesn't have the strength to get it up and down. And it landed right in Jair's hip pocket. The second one again, um, which was the second one? Oh, uh, Devondre Campbell playing underneath. It was either Jalen Waddle or Tyree Hill again. I was waiting and again um, to finish it. Oh, Sue Douglas doing the same thing. Tua doesn't have the arm strength to push the ball consistently outside the hash mark numbers. So you just flood the middle of the field with as many defenders as possible. You don't have backers to get as much depth as possible. And was. To my credit, to, I can't believe Joe Barry actually and we won that game, and that is why it is the most surprising victory or surprising result of the entire. So Jordan says that Rogers has said it seemed that he doesn't care for a while. This season, we have fully seen it. Packers fighting Detroit to a playoff berth in a weak division. Well, I can't really argue against that. Now, my biggest surprise of the weekend was actually what happened in SoFi. The 50, the 50 points that the Rams were able to hang on the Denver Broncos. Now, we know that the Broncos were not good. And we can get to them in a second. But the fact that they were giving up 50 points, 50 points to Baker Mayfield and the Rams, so Baker has not looked good in Cleveland. He has not looked good in Carolina. But suddenly he walks off of the tarmac straight into SoFi and he looks like the next coming of Kurt Warner. Suddenly he is spreading the ball all over the place and men are getting free and they're putting up points. Like apparently this experience thing or you know time in the system is overblown if you're going to play for Sean McVay and Rams because we also said that about um was Jeff Saturday and we had to change our tune on that very quickly because there are no one and five under under Mr. Saturday. But speaking of the, the Denver Broncos that no segues perfectly into our next topic, we finish off the rip, we've, we've gone the four downs. Nathaniel couldn't hack it in Denver. Hackett fired after going 4-11 and 11 in his first season. 
This was not a surprise that he has been fired. His time in Denver is done. The Embattled head coach is out after this latest embarrassing loss where his offense looked inept, his quarterback didn't look worth the money, and what they thought was rock bottom got excavated by some dynamite. So do we have any sympathy, Justin, for Nathaniel Kerthaki? Episode, but yeah, I have sympathy because you know he was my offensive coordinator for the three seasons. He was actually wounded for him to get this job in Denver and succeed once he did. And, you know, when he got Russ, I said, well, I am actually on record saying that Denver would win this division simply because I thought Russ would be the run. We already didn't know how elite the defense was. So when I looked at this Denver Broncos, they were just a quarterback away and I saw no glaring weaknesses. Do I keep getting fired after or after games are played? No, because not the job. Because he is an offensive mastermind, or at least a man. No, he. I, I know a lot of people think that the job that he did in Green Rogers, but that's not the case. Because as what people fail to remember is in Rogers' his first, his offensive production wasn't the greatest. And then Nathaniel Hackett kind of implored him, and that kind of changed things. And then you saw Aaron Rodgers win back-to-back MVPs. And now since he's gone, and again, a lot of people will point towards Devontae Adams leaving as the real cause, but also losing Nathaniel Hackett has really hit our So Nathaniel Hackett going over there with a Super Bowl MVP, or sorry, a Super Bowl champ. I assume that at least points were coming because of the offensive mastermind that he's supposed to be. But then when you're averaging 15.5 points per game offense in the NFL, and at one point you were challenging the 2,000 Browns, like, there's only a matter of time to that you're going to get fired. I was not before the season ended. It was just a matter of time. And it's not not just the offense. Like, yeah, Russ was terrible. I mean, Russ, I think he has, what, 12 touchdowns and nine interceptions. I think team only has. But when you even go f- further beyond just the offensive side, side of things to defense, yes, but, but then you had the infighting. And I think the infighting is really what, what led to hack. We saw, like, defenders coming off the field and having words with Russ. And then the latest instance, quarterback and the offensive lineman getting into shoving match like as a head coach uses so but it's clearly it was a room divided you had the defensive players and the offensive players like going out but I think the rating was really on the wall early in the season Ken guy to manage game day decisions I mean look here Jerry Westbrook and Kobe Incidentally enough, I think he is now the interim coach looking for. Like, you not being able to manage, which is your, your primary role as a head coach, they spoke for to bring somebody to do that for you. I figured, oh no, this is not going to go well. On a standpoint of him coming from 
from the Packers system or passing through the Packers system. But, you know, we live in a results-oriented world. And what Nathaniel had, he, he, he just had to be fired. So I understand that because Hackett came from Bayou, you would have some level of emotional investment. Also, in I'm kind of glad because they want Hackett to come back to us. So, so all right. So let me start by saying because they try to figure out how to start what I'm about to say, right? Let me start by saying that I, Ken Griffith, do not have any sympathy at all for Nathaniel Hackett. I call him Nathaniel Can't Hackett for a reason. He's <laughs> earned that moniker for me. So if I'm going to make it seem no, like if I feel sorry that he's been fired, that would be disingenuous. I was intending, especially when I saw that they got Russ here in Denver, that I had to get to a Broncos game in September because... I was not going when it was cold. I wanted to go when it was still early in the season so that we could um, get that out of the way and I would have gone on some good football. Before I go any further, let me just go out through these comments because we've got a lot of good ones. So, Jordan said, Ken, how often on the end of the bench we have said that superstars and player power is so heavy compared to coach? Wilson hasn't stopped stinking that player since he got there. Come into that in a second. Dale says, Wilson hacked hack it. Coming to that in a second. Jordan says, Denver, I understand, is always cold, but not anymore because Wilson has taken a dump on the field so much since he got there, it's no hot. Um, he also said that Russ is always going to take the flat, though, especially when he's been so poor. And then he said that it is Jeremy Lin's fault. Let me give you the bad story on that one, Justin. So we were on the End of the Bench show a couple weeks ago, and I said, that what Anthony Davis was doing at the time, because at that point he was having these monster games, 30 plus points, 10, 15 rebounds a game. I said that what he was doing at the time was reminiscent of what Jeremy Lin did in New York, because you know, Jeremy Lin got hot for a minute and then he cooled off. Whereas with Anthony Davis, it was only a matter of time before he got hurt. I digress. That's where that Jeremy Lane comment came from. So, getting back to now to what I was saying. In terms of what has happened here in Denver, most of what has happened has to fall at the feet of Hackett. Not all of it, but a lot of it. So, you come in as a brand new head coach, you get a brand new quarterback, who's not the quarterback that you were hoping to get. Everybody knows that Denver was hoping that with the hiring of Hackett, it would have brought Aaron Rodgers over as well. That did not occur. You got Russell Wilson. But Hackett seems not to have adjusted his game plans or whatever to suit the quarterback that he had as opposed to the quarterback that he wanted. It's kind of like you treating your wife badly because she is not the girl that you were in love with all the time. But that again, I digress. So you have a brand new head coach, a brand new quarterback. You don't play this brand new quarterback in any of the preseason games. So now you start the season from behind because the game reps that he was supposed to get in preseason to give you um, the opportunity to bed in everything and, and see it happen in real time, you don't have that. 
So now we get into the regular season and things are not going the, the way that they're supposed to go. To be fair, you can't necessarily blame Hackett if you got Jerry Judy out here dropping the ball almost every time it's thrown to him. You can't blame Hackett if Cortland Sutton is not making catches that you expect him to make. You can't blame Hackett if Russ is throwing the ball inaccurately. However, when you look at the lack of preparation and the lack of rapport between the two, that can be expected. Then we get now to these, the injury situation. This is where you can probably find a little sympathy for him because you came with a good offensive line and the majority of that offensive line has no spent the majority of the season on the sidelines. You had the Garrett Bowles went down, I think, in like week five, and he's the left tackle. If you don't have a good left tackle, you really don't have anything. Somebody has to protect the quarterback's blind side. That wasn't there. But if you're the head coach, then you have to come up with answers for these problems, which he never did. As you said, he is supposed to be the ultimate manager of this team. You shouldn't have to hire somebody to come in and manage the game for you because you are not the one that is supposed you're not getting paid to just call the plays. You're getting called, you're getting paid to manage the team and try to keep this team, all 53 players plus practice squad together, which he failed to do. From very early in the season, we were hearing about these fractures in the locker room and people having comments to say about Russell Wilson and this thing and the next thing. That's on Hackett. Hackett was supposed to deal with these things and he did not, which now caused those cracks to turn into a fissure between the offense and the defense. As the head coach, you cannot allow these things to happen. The indiscipline with the players, you have men getting thrown out of games and getting stupid penalties for punching people and all if you are someone that your players respect they're not going to do that because they know then that they're putting their coach in a bad position he now has to go and answer these questions in the things you're not going to see that happen on an andy reed team you're not going to see that happen on a bill belichick team you're not going to see that happen on any quality head coach team but we had hackett who couldn't hack it here in Denver. So there is so much that he did wrong. There's so much that he allowed to happen and to fester that you had no choice but to have him fired. Even to this game against the Rams, like I said, there's no way that the Rams are supposed to score 50 points on this Denver defense because coming into, I think it was last week's game, they were I think it was in week 10 or something like that. They said that if the Denver Broncos scored 18 points every game, they would have been 8-1. So they, your defense is they, doing the job. They would have been 10-1 at one point. There you go. So your defense is doing the job. Your offense is not doing what they're supposed to do. And you're, you are supposed to be the offensive mastermind. People like Hackett. Because, you know, Hackett was supposed to be your offensive coordinator, but your head coach is the one who calls the plays. So, somebody like Hackett now is the reason why an Eric Bieniemy is going to find it so hard to get a head coaching job because the credit that Hackett was getting for what now we would say was seemingly doing very little to nothing in Green Bay because you had 
your Matt LaFleur, who is the head coach and calling the players on offense. You have your Aaron Rodgers, who will go on the field, and if he saw something he didn't like, he will audible and change the play. What's Hackett doing? But when we go to Kansas City now, Eric Bieniemy, who's supposedly the architect of this offense, isn't getting the credit because he has the otherworldly figure behind him and over him, overshadowing him completely. So he's not going to get the credit, but Hackett did. Hackett go ahead, coaching job, and is now fired two weeks before the end of the season. So when I look at all of this in totality now, he had to go. I said this Christmas night at my dining room table, Hackett had to go. Why are you bringing in Brett Rippin, throwing the football when you're already down 30 points? At that point in time, nobody, well, sorry, the only people that might have been invested might have been the sponsors and the fans in the crowd. But if both teams had just taken knee and just run the clock out from there on, nobody would have been vexed. Instead, you go and now have him throwing a supposed out route that he puts on the inside that gets picked up and taken back to the house. Six points. 50 points hung on your supposed top defense. Had to go. Had to go. There's no doubt about that. As I said, like he deserves a lot of credit, a lot of blame for what happened in Denver. The, the fissure between the offensive defense um, philosophical differences between him and Russ, um, not decisions like he just had to go. I, I will say this though, um, enemy. I think Eric B. Enemy just, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna just say what. Um, I don't think Hackett's failure in Denver has Eric B. Enemy going forward. Because it is clear for whatever reason that will become a head coach in the NFL. And, you know, and I think I understand our one, it is race. And let's not pretend this situation. We know what it can say, whatever they want to say. But, like, you see all these flat coordinators doing their job. And just not getting the credit he deserves. All, all like we want these young offensive masterminds. So like we're not, you know, black people through these pipelines to get into coaching. So I said, oh, we said all right, no, no problem. You have Byron Leftwich, you know, and still no head coaching again. Like you know, it was all the, the rhetoric that. These coaches aren't having direct access to owners. At the end of the last season, there was this symposium where these assistant coach owners are still nothing for the enemy. But I think the real goes past Andy Reid because that's just an excuse. The issue with the enemy, and I'm not sure if you're on my show, is the coaching ranks within the NFL a family and friends problem. Three percentages of, of these coaches are people who become head coaches. I think there was an, of the, the how many coaches are there? 32 head coaches in the NFL related to either a current or a former head coach. And then I think it was 
a situation where like 70 or 80 of the coaches, either through marriage or um, biology, and then who isn't marriage or biology are friends. And then a little further, I'll certainly exist that the enemy just not part of the street. Um, you know, living in Denver, Mike Shanahan was that Super Bowl winning coach with John Tree has no become with his son, Kyle Shanahan, and that branched off into Sean McVay, Francis Rams. Um, my own head coach, Matt LaFleur, head coach of the Green Bay Packers, our head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, Zach Taylor, head coach of the, the, the um, Robert Salah, head coach in New York Jets. So you see what's going on here. It is, uh, and that one tree has taken up about third in the league's head coaching right now. Part of these, this in club, if they're not part of these, these, these cleats for like you're not going to get a job i'm sorry to go on this tangent ken but this is an dear to my heart certain clubs bring in these family members and no one questions it um bill are coaching in new england no one bats name um pete carroll in, brought in two of his sons to coach in seattle no not a no one's bad name part of the this friends of family clique just not gonna get job. Yeah, that is for sure. That is for sure. I mean, I I knew what I was opening up when I mentioned um, the enemy's yeah. name, but <laughs> I this is what I should say. What my overarching point where he is concerned in relation to this is that this now is going to be the next excuse that we are going to hear because. If Matt LaFleur is the one who's doing the job and Nathaniel Hackett was just standing on the sideline next to him and we give him an opportunity and he didn't cut it, then why are we going to give an opportunity to Eric Bieniemy, who apparently is doing the same thing with Andy Reid? We, we see what the game is. It's just for us now to call it out when it actually happens. Um, so just to quickly go down through the chat again, Jordan said, as Justin said, 12 touchdowns and 9 interceptions. How much are they paying him? I'll do it for three beers and a selfie with the team. Seeing Brock Purdy get a chance in San Fran, he's been great, especially given the expectations. Hackett couldn't find the balls to sit Russ. Well, he's been so bad. That is true. But, I mean, at least the San Francisco I mean, for but work. I don't think Brock to sit Russ late. You can say what you want when you're paying this guy this ton of money. I can't do it. Hackett can go and say, I'm going to sit him. And the general manager will say, oh, I'm, there's more than money to sit on a bench, so. There you go. So then he says that maybe Hackett and Russ can go off to the CFL together. Who knows? But right now, when you're looking at the money that Russ is going to be paid over the next couple of years and the dead money, Russ is not going anywhere at all. So... The, the bots are trying to attack our chat, so I had to get rid of them quickly. Um, Thank you. Of course. And then Jordan said that I was saying that Hackett said, Happy Christmas and a happy new welfare payment to Hackett. I, I mean, he's well he's a well-paid coach. He'll be fine. He'll be okay. All right, Justin. So, Come back home. He can, he can go anywhere. As long as, you know, you say, you ain't got to go home, but you just got to get up out of here. 
So that's that's what it's been <laughs> for Hackett right now. So now Justin quickly because we talk about the coaches, but now let's get to these owners. So these bad behaving owners who clearly need their own ironclad code of conduct because you know what we like to get on the players when they misbehave, these owners clearly can't be trusted. First up is Daniel Snyder, owner of the Washington Commanders, who has contracted the bank Wells Fargo to broker the sale of his football franchise. Why is he selling the franchise? Well, here's an excerpt from an article from the New York Times entitled, Congress says Dan Snyder and the NFL impeded sexual harassment investigation. That is a mouthful in itself. The Washington Commanders owner Daniel Snyder, aided by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, suppressed evidence that Snyder and team executives sexually harassed women who worked at the team over two decades, according to the results of a year-long inquiry by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. In a 79-page report released Thursday, the committee said Snyder went to extraordinary lengths to stall investigations into him and his team. The efforts, the report said, included his attempt to pay former employees hush money to not discuss their experiences, the refusal to release one woman from her non-disclosure agreement after she settled a sexual misconduct claim against Snyder for $1.6 million and the use of private investigators and leaked emails to intimidate former employees from from participating in interviews. That is the first two paragraphs of the article. So, just as an aside, we will remember that Chucky, Juan John Gruden, got caught up in this whole mess with the with the commanders because it was through this investigation that his inappropriate comments came out. So Justin, what are you what do you make of this entire situation with with one Mr. Snyder? That it just took too long for this situation to come. Imagine and uh, this can um from since he took over the team there have been all these reports and the bad treatment of employees. And I'm talking about all, all the way to when he first purchased the 2000, 1998, somewhere around those times. Um, and this is a year on, on one of our, in our first season, we brought in, um, we had a lot of interviewing uh, USA Today columnist Christine Brennan, winning, very, very, very good um, journalist. And why that was so great for us is that he was as a beat reporter for the Washington football team. I won't think the name was because repulsive, but she started her career and she chronicled some of the issues she herself went through during. So, I, you know, now we are almost here, what, 20 something years later, and we're still talking. Imagine you commission an independent uh, investigation finding you refuse to release them. Like, like, then what was the purpose of all this? All of these stories, all of these, you know, you took sending. I have to put the pressure on you to finally expose this man. 
it begs the question, and I have, I can imagine just later, but, but like, if there's him, you know, we have a same back in Barbados, uh, Ken, at least 10 more. So the, the NFL went this month, and the, the things he has been accused of, the type of, you know, engages in, uh, and the type of business that he runs. Are you protecting this man for so long? And I just can't imagine getting involved if outside parties didn't continue to get involved and put pressure. We'd still be from no down the road, and it was only a matter of like this is tend to say about this, but as you know, uh, and I felt fine. I am glad to finally see the back. That's later. Yeah, I I have to agree. Um, my one of the things that does comes to me through majority of this is that it pays off to be rich and white. That that's that's basically it. You can do the world of nonsense, and it's good that society has changed. So now people are being held accountable for the foolishness that they've done in the past. Um, I mean, we're yet to talk about Jerry Jones in that photo where he was over there trying to stop black people from just getting an education and probably drink some water. But that is that is another situation, has another can of worms. But in this particular situation here, we have seen this story before. We've seen this play with the Clippers when they had, I'm trying to remember what their former owners, yeah, Donald Sterling, right. So we've seen it with Sterling. Now we see it here with Snyder. And as Jordan says, he thinks he's Robert Sarver. And I'm glad he said that he thought it, that he thinks he's Robert Sarver because that's exactly where we're going next, Justin, because you are a Suns fan. You we have to talk. Yeah, we have to talk about Sarver and the Suns. And Sarver, who has 17 years of misogyny and racism in his tenure as the governor of the Phoenix Suns. There's an extensive article on ESPN on Sarver and the Suns. But here's a little piece. Again, I just pulled a couple paragraphs. The anecdote, there was an anecdote that was right above this. Actually, let me just pull that for you quickly. Oh, he said, um, he entered the coach's locker room. He said, you know... Why does Draymond Green get to run up the court and say N-word? Server, who is white, allegedly said, repeating the N-word several times in a row. You can't say that, Watson. Watson is Earl Watson, one of the coaches. He was the he was the third, he said he was in his third game as the Suns head coach. He so he says, You can't say that. He says, Why? Draymond Green says N-word. Watson says, You can't effing say that. This anecdote offers a glimpse into conduct that sources tell, told ESPN Sarver has often exhibited since buying the Suns in 2004. Uh, interviews with more than 70 former and current Suns employees throughout Sarver's 17-year tenure describes a toxic and sometimes hostile workplace under Sarver. Some told ESPN that he's used racially insensitive language repeatedly in the office. Employees recounted conduct they felt was inappropriate and misogynistic, including Server once passing around a picture of his wife, his wife, 
in a bikini to employees and speaking about times his wife performed oral sex on him. Some said the longtime owner fostered an environment in which employees felt they were his property, even once asking Walmer whether he owned her to determine whether she worked for the Suns. The level of misogyny and racism is beyond the pale. One Suns co-owner said about Server is embarrassing as an owner. Said a former basketball executive, there's literally nothing you could tell me about him from a misogynistic or race standpoint that would surprise me. And this man was allowed to own a team for 17 years. So, with this Phoenix is also up for sale, Justin, as the Suns, the Suns fan, you, you're probably one of the few Suns fans I actually like. Tell me, tell me about Sarvo and, and your Suns. No, this goes back to the same point I made about Sarvo. Oh, sorry, not Sarvo. <clears throat> Daniel Snyder. It's so long. Um, and I say that to say there have been reports uh, uh, from former head coaches, Earl Watson at the time, I think was the interim head coach when it came up. You've had general managers complain with this guy. You've had executives complain about this guy. And it is not that the NBA did not know race, this the 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 toxic workplace culture that, that with Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury. But imagine it took Baxter a reporter from ESPN, Baxter Holmes is it took that expose last year from waiting interview like seventy current and former employees of Phoenix Suns to Edwards sorry for out of here. Imagine if that didn't happen. Imagine if he didn't have the ins to do that. Again, we're talking about another 17 years of ownership from Robert Sarver. Before I found out all this, my problems with Sarver and early going, he would not spend money in free agency. And the funny thing is that terrible market to come to, especially with our noted um, medical staff. Medical staff is because we've been able to extended careers of so many people who thought CP3 is the latest person of that. Um, we've had Grant Hill extend his career about how many resurrections we've had in Phoenix simply because our medical staff won for the last two, three decades. But this is a man who's so cheap that, that people are like, nah, not coming to Phoenix. And then, you know, over the last decade, and, you know, the reports of the misogyny, the racist remarks. You know, can you imagine that his toxic culture went half? Can you imagine that? Like, typically, it's like one or the other, but both. And I just shudder at the thought to think if Baxter Holmes did not have to view these employees, we'll be talking about Robert Sarver. Still as an owner, let me watching or going through the entire Donald Sterling saga. And you know, another Arsenal fan with you, Mario Loki, big sense fan too. And Mario, I I wonder if this is ever going to happen with Robert Sarver. I'm like, no, probably not. The likelihood that it's going to happen again. 
and thankfully, I just have to thank God for that. Yeah, I mean, server server has been terrible, absolutely terrible. And Jordan says you are absolutely right. How deep did that toxic culture run? We would never get the full story because there are some people that got lots of money and they're not going to break their NDAs. So they're not going to talk to a reporter about the things that happened. We will never get the full story. You just understand from the perspective of we have heard a lot of really bad things, really crazy things, and this is not all. So he had to go. It was as simple as that. He absolutely had to go. So now, Justin, that brings us to the last question of the day. This was, well, this thought came up before, and then this was a conversation that they had on Inside the NBA when the guys were talking about what these teams are going for. So we've spoken at length right now about two teams, but we did mention the third, which was the Clippers. So the Clippers were bought by Steve Ballmer for $2 billion. And there's no way that when the Sterlings took over the team, that they spent $2 billion on this team. So they took home a very tidy profit besides all of the money that they would have made all over these years. The Phoenix Suns <clears throat> right now has been sold to another group and they have been sold for $4 billion. And they, if memory serves me correctly, Robert Sarver, when he bought the team, he bought the team for $400 million. So he has multiplied his investment by 10 while doing all of this racist and misogynistic stuff. And we talked about Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders and the Commanders asking prices a tidy $5.6 billion. So the question is, should these owners, especially these owners who have been engaging in all of this nonsense, should they be benefiting financially from these teams now being sold at these extremely high valuations? Because when the guys were talking about it inside the NBA, one of the things they suggested was <clears throat> you would basically get back your investment. So if you spent $400 million in the case of server, you get back your $400 million and you go your way. What do you think about this, this kind of situation? And just to touch up, the commanders used at 5.6, but there are rumors that there's been bills already. And I suspect that's what the commanders are going to go for. Um, it is unfortunate that these owners can do as they like and they come up wealthy. So I mean, obviously, they're already wealthy. That's why they're NBA owners. But I'm not here to tell a man that he can't benefit from what is his because rent property uh, is not something that he's leasing or whatever not. And I mean, I know NBA are, are particular to this, but the reality situation is he bought and if he's selling price is $4 billion in the sense case, then rights he has rights to that. Four billion dollars is on like you know, there's no 
losing for these, and I was having this argument about last year with a friend talking about this because he was seeing all the owners go into into taking up teams, and I told him, no, the NBA team in this climate is not really a risk. What is risk, Ken? It's me and you, because if you and I start a business, there is no guarantee that's going to make a profit, and there. And even if you sell it, we can make a profit. That is what risk really is. When you buy out, is you know that you can sell it for more than you probably bought it. And call that a risk. That being said, you know, Sarver did buy it. And he put $400 million of his own money to buy a team. But, you know, we don't account for into the team of these what, 15, 16, 17 years, as you said. A part of that, obviously, is the the, the money-making arm that we spoke about that the other day, what the NBA generates $8 billion in revenue a year. You can just sit there and make money hand over fist. But he does still, the team is still technically his. He bought it. He has the ownership. So it is unfortunate that you said that you can be a terrible human being. Huge financial rewards from these teams. But I guess, for lack of a better term, that's just the way it crumbles. All right. So Jordan is agreeing with you. He says, once again, you are spot on. And we have Mark Thompson, who has, he said he isn't connected in a while. We're glad that you're here with us, Mark. Welcome, as always. And everyone else who's here, we're glad that you've taken some time out with us, you know, this Christmas week. So if you have not liked this video, please go ahead and do so. Hit the subscribe bell and make sure that you are notified every single time that we are on. So, Justin, while I agree with most of what you said, I have to say most because there's, there's just one thing for me and based on how things are set up right now what i would suggest can't be done and i understand that however the same way how a player can have in his contract these behavior clauses which says that if you basically do whatever then we have all rights to take away your contract. We can take away all your money. If we've paid you guaranteed money, then you have to pay us back. It is about time that every single owner of every franchise, and this is soccer, NFL, NBA, NHL, I don't care what sport it is, every owner <clears throat> excuse me, should have to sign on the dotted line a contract that says that this is the behavioral standard that is expected and if you violate this clause for whatever by whatever means then you forfeit your team it should not be that we are going to take the team from you and we we're not giving you back your 400 million dollars because you have been a piece of crap no we are taking your team, we are going to sell the team, and the money that is made from the sale of your team is going to be distributed throughout the rest of the league. So, 
you play the fool in the case of the NBA reserver, resell your team for four billion dollars. Well, everybody, we're gonna take that four billion dollars and split it up twenty nine ways. You get nothing. You you don't even get your money back because, as you said, these owners aren't exposing themselves to risk because you own the team so in a lot of cases they don't take their own money and buy the team because in like in the case of manchester united for example when the glazers bought that team they bought the team with their own money and then they then took money out of the club and put the sale the the buying of the team as club debt so basically the club bought itself and they are now reaping all of the benefits so if you are going to be guaranteed no risk then here is the risk i'm introducing for you either you behave yourself or you lose all of your investment it's just that simple and the minute that they do that first off a lot of them are going to kick fast again say i know it's going to be very difficult to convince these billionaires that chances are when we step into the way back machine and we see all the foolishness that they've done that they're just going to lose their team no but for anyone who's coming in no at this point going forward that is the way i would approach it i would say is either that you sign this clause to say that you will forfeit your investment in this team or we don't let you in because all of these are closed groups the NFL is one, the NBA is another, where the owners have to decide if we are going if we are going to allow you to buy the team. Justin, me and you could be sitting down here on five hundred billion dollars each. And we couldn't just go and walk in and say we won't buy the Suns because who are we? They're not gonna sell to us. And therein lays the situation though, like the every league office so the owners aren't going to put that on themselves because the owners know exactly what they get up so you've made the point like you are not going to find a way to put those yourselves and make no mistake like i said before if you find one, one cockroach that they chat so, so like no nba owner is ever going to put that stipulation they all know what they get up to they all know what they're doing when you don't you don't make that type of money. You don't have that type of sort of, you know. Let me not put that over there. I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop short of making that point. Yeah. So I mean, well, I understand that they're not going to. They're not going to do it. But if we are going to say that they are going, that they should be doing these things, and they can't be getting up to this kind of behavior, if we are going to have an outrage at the amount of money. That Amali Sarver is going to make because <clears throat> he is going to multiply his investment tenfold, then there has to be something. We can't just say it is not good enough and then allow it to continue. Something has to be done. So Mark is saying, can it's a great idea, but can the owners hold themselves to the same standard as in the existing owners? Definitely not, because somebody like Jerry Jones will be losing his team tomorrow. But I mean probably he might who knows i i don't know so let me not say that let me let me retract that statement though because green bay does not have a legal department 
and I can't afford to pay Jerry Jones for any kind of libel or slander. But somebody who has been photographed in the things that he has done, has been photographed in, could find himself in hot water. I think that is fair to say. And when we take all of that into consideration, they're not, I'm not saying that we go now and put the existing owners right and do a retroactive kind of punishment. What we will have to say is, as of today, the 27th of December, 2022, everything that you have done in the past, unfortunately for Salvador, it came too late for him, but everything you've done in the past, we will consider as water under the bridge. But what you do from today going forward, if you violate this clause, then you have to suffer the consequences. Because otherwise, what we are talking about here with the Donald Sterlings and Robert Sarvers and the Dan Snyders of the world is just going to continue. They're just going to try to find a different way now to hide it and do things in such a way that we don't hear about it, but it's still going to happen. So Justin, we've been here a while, but we've had a very good conversation. We've talked about some very important things. As you hear now, we get to the end and the coughing has stopped. Maybe we should have started at seven as opposed to starting at six. Maybe that was the trait and I just didn't know it. But tell the good folks where they can find you, how they can find you, and plug your great show as always. So before I do right now, or if you're going to watch in the future, um, pre, you know, later on, pre-recorded episode, but please subscribe, like, share to your friends. Like this is always glad when Ken or AJ message me. Like, yeah, Justin, you got to come on. Like, yeah. So yeah, please, Green Bay, Dre- Wherever you listen or watch your podcast, whether it's YouTube, Apple, or Spotify, right? Wherever, of course, we're yeah, everywhere. Wherever you listen and watch your podcast, Green Beach. And when you're done doing that, then come on over. We are on YouTube primarily every Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. We're not exactly a podcast. We like to call ourselves a late show, so we're not on Spotify, Apple Podcast on YouTube. If you want our short-form content, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, Twitter as well. Hashtag this just in, put in the hashtag. You don't want to not copy my Our show came out a full year and a half before this just in. So hashtag this just in. All right. So we have, AJ and I, we've done this just in, hashtag this just in. We haven't done this just in. Matt Kellum would be great to have us on. He, he <laughs> would probably have a better show. But he hasn't invited us. But Justin has had us over on his show quite a few times. We had a great time breaking down the World Cup. I know some of you or most of you would have seen those viral takes of AJ right after the, the World Cup. So if you haven't seen it, please go look for it. So yeah, AJ is saying, Justin, he's going to see you in a week. Yeah, AJ, right now, he's in a bit indisposed. We miss him tonight, but he'll be back next week with us. As we break down the end of the regular season, we look forward to the end of football season, getting into the playoffs. So for this week, I'm sitting on the green side, but that 
Yeah, see, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's a little, it's different for me over here because usually I point with this hand. But that over here this week was Justin Marvel of hashtag this Justin. I am Ken with a cold, but we made it to the end. We are going to see you guys next time. And thank you so much for being with us here tonight.